Well, good evening, everybody. How are you guys feeling tonight? Good, good. Well, my name is Mike. Uh, welcome to Genesis. And uh, here at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so I hope that when you walked through the door tonight, you felt comfortable and invited. And, uh, and also hope that you came with an open heart because we have prayed and prepared for you. How was your hurricane? So are you guys more of like, this is awesome, I get to go home or I get to like not go to work or not go to school? Or is it more of like, I have to have a schedule, I hate not having things to do? Okay. It was amazing, and some people need a schedule. Yeah. I'm like one of those, um, <laughs> I'm like one of those people that need a schedule, um, and it takes me like, if I'm on vacation, it takes me like three days to start actually feeling like I'm on vacation. And so it was nice, but then it was like over before it really was nice, I guess. So <laughs> gotta love it, right? Um, cool. Well, well, we're glad that you guys are back tonight. It's good to be back here tonight. We, I really missed Genesis last week. I missed you guys last week. So it's good to be back. Um, one bit of uh, news for you guys. So tonight we're starting a new series, but we're also, as you guys know, we do a, a new series every month. And so uh, for the month of October, we're actually going to do a series called You Asked For It, okay? So uh, You Asked For It, and basically what we're going to do for that for that month is we're going to take the topics for what we're talking about and put it into your hands, okay? So we want you guys to submit questions, and we're going to pick five questions that you guys submit, and over the course of the month, those are the questions we're going to answer. And I think it's going to be really cool, all right? So, uh, so starting next week, we'll give you a week to think about it, because I know sometimes it can be hard to, to think like of a question about God, a question about your faith, a question about the Bible. It kind of can be hard to think about that on the spot. Um, so we're going to give you a week. Starting next week, we're going to have note cards for you guys to write a question on, submit them to us, and uh, we'll pick five, and, uh, and we'll take those five, and that's what we'll talk about for uh, the month of October. Uh, and also, if you guys are familiar with our Genesis Continued podcast, so we're actually finishing up season one with that in October, and so we're actually going to take the 15-minute time limit off of that for that month, and every, or not every, but some of the questions that we don't get to uh, on a Tuesday night, we're going to try to address on the podcast. And so I think it's going to be a really cool month next month, but um, just to kind of put that out there for you guys, that's uh, next week we're going to start taking those questions. So tonight... For September, we are beginning a new series called 21st Century Christian. And the idea behind this series is, is the fact that we are living in an unprecedented time of history. And, and if we're following Jesus, then we are sure to encounter some obstacles that only the 21st century can bring. Now, I do believe that, that some of the things that we face in the world, some of the things we face in culture, they're, they're not new. On a deeper, at a deeper level, they're nothing new, but... Um, on the surface, these, these problems, uh, they, they, they look a little different because of the time that we live in. And so um, what I wanted to do, as I like to do for every series, is to give you the, the broad scope of this issue and to kind of go into detail with you the, uh, what the backdrop of what this idea looks like before we jump into this tonight. So if you would, pray with me, and then uh, we'll get going. God, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for, uh, for blessing us the way that you have. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, the resurrection of your son that makes all of this possible. And, uh, and so tonight, God, we pray that you would have your way, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. We thank you for every single person in this room tonight. And we pray that we'd be closer to you on the way out than we were coming in. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. Awesome. So the first thing I wanna get out of the way tonight is this. Following Jesus is hard, okay? Would anybody agree? Right? Okay. And if you find it to be difficult, you are not alone. 
And, and so following Jesus, it was never meant or promised to be easy. That's why Jesus told us to pick up our cross and follow him. He, he demands our life. He says, lay down your life and follow me. And living in the time that we do, we are presented with our own unique obstacles and our own unique problems. And so I want to be clear that the series is not going to be me like railing on culture or hating on culture. Culture is what it is. Culture has always bent away from God. And so that's nothing new, but that doesn't mean that we can't look at culture or look at the world through the lens of our faith. So that's what we're going to do over the course of this month. And so what is it like following Jesus in the 21st century? I thought about gathering and compiling some stats and some surveys to kind of help paint this picture. Uh, but I decided against that because, first of all, you can find a stat or survey to prove just about anything, right? 17.57% stats are made up on the spot, okay? Um, y'all get that in a minute. Um, and also, because though Christianity is declining here in America, it's actually growing very rapidly around the world. Uh, you know, Christianity is not dying regardless of what our religious climate tells us. And so um, stats don't really tell the whole story. And so I want to just discuss this for a few moments. So if you are following Jesus, like I said, you are doing so in an unprecedented time of history. So in today's world, life moves faster than it ever has before. Viral videos, streaming services, DoorDash, Venmo, mobile banking, high-speed internet, drive-throughs, right? Things move fast. And what's interesting is that many facets or principles of Christianity, they exist in in stark contrast to a fast-paced world. God often calls us to rest, to strive, or calls us to to be still, to wait, to to plant your seed and wait for a harvest, where where the world on the opposite end calls us to strive, to to stay busy, and to go get what you want now. In this fast-paced world, it's, it's ushered in the era of consumer Christianity, the, the age of church shopping, where, where, the, where the church people attend, it no longer has anything to do with proximity to their town or family tradition, but instead it's based on finding a church that meets their needs best. And that's led to churches resorting to use gadgets and gimmicks and gizmos instead of the gospel to accomplish that goal. And they end up compromising the very thing that they're trying to do in the first place. That is a unique problem that we have in the 21st century. What also makes the 21st century unique, and this is the obvious one, but it's the introduction of the internet and the, and, and the smartphone into society. You know, we live in a time where everything is at the touch of a button, and if you have the money, you don't need for anything, right? There's no need to actively hope in something bigger than yourself, namely God. The internet and smartphone communication shift is actually considered the biggest communication shift since Gutenberg invented the printing press. And that was in the year 1439, okay? That's the 15th century. So that's 500 years of practice that Christians have had dealing with that communication shift. And we're living in the next one. And for us, the the internet, I looked this up, it was invented in 1983, but didn't come into prominence until the 90s. The smartphone was invented in the 90s, but didn't uh, become widespread until 2007. And so for us as Christians, we are living in a world that has only existed for about 35 years. And so no wonder nobody knows what on earth is going on. So tonight, for week one of this series, we're gonna talk about a problem that, like I said, is nothing new, but has been brought more to the forefront in our time of history. And that is the problem of comparison. Comparison. Anybody in here ever struggle with comparison, right? Looking at others, comparing yourself with them, right? 
So if you would, turn to the book of John, uh, John chapter 21. The book of John is one of the, the four accounts of the life of Jesus. And by the time we get to chapter 21, Jesus has lived his life. He's died on the cross. He's rose again. And he's spending time with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And while he's doing that, we, we see this conversation that involves Jesus and two of his disciples, Peter and John. And so Peter, before the crucifixion of Jesus, to kind of give you some context to this, he's, he, he denied, denied knowing Jesus three times. And so at the beginning of the verses that we'll read tonight, we'll see a conversation between them that will set the story up for us tonight. So this is John 21, 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. And Peter says, yes. And many people believe this was actually a way for, uh, for Jesus to help Peter account for the three times that he had denied him by asking him three times if he loved him. Um, you know, not that Jesus didn't know that Peter loved him, but as a way for Peter to kind of get closure on the situation because Peter was heartbroken that he had denied Jesus. And so Peter says, yes, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus tells him, okay, well then feed my sheep. Long story short, Peter was already told, hey, I'm gonna build my church. Jesus told him, I'm gonna build my church on you. And so this is just Jesus's way of telling him that again. But what comes next is what I wanna focus on. So this is the next two verses. This is Jesus, he continues talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. As so Jesus tells Peter here, how Peter is going to die. And when he says his arms are gonna get stretched out, he's referring to crucifixion. He's telling Peter, you are going to be crucified. That's how you're going to die. And that's kind of hard to hear, right? To know that this is how you're gonna die. You're gonna be crucified. I'm sure Peter would have been a little distraught by that. I know I would be. And years later, what Jesus said would actually come true. Peter would be crucified. But his history tells us he actually asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't wanna die in the same manner that Jesus did. So you might be wondering at this point, what in the world does this have to do with comparison? Let's keep reading. Next four verses. 20 to 23. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So the disciple whom Jesus loved was John. John referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is kind of funny. Peter turned and saw John, so the, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also had, had leaned back against him, against Jesus during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? 
So Peter, he gets this news about how he'll die, right? Peter, you're gonna get crucified. And right after, he, Peter looks at John and he asks Jesus, hey, what about him? What about this guy, right? And Jesus tells him, he says, hey, if it is my will that he live until I return again, what is that to you? You follow me. And so what we're seeing here is Peter receiving this news about himself and then asking Jesus about John, saying, hey, well, what about John? How is he going to die? Is he going to be crucified? Is he gonna get crucified like me? Is he even going to die? And okay, this is like the, the biblical equivalent of what we do today, right? When Peter heard the news, it's like he reaches into his pocket, pulls out his phone, taps on Instagram and says, hey, what about this guy? And Jesus replies with, hey, even if I wanted him to live forever, why do you care? You follow me. And this is the danger of comparison. The danger of comparison is found in the act of taking your eyes off Jesus and putting them elsewhere. Taking your eyes off Jesus and comparing yourself to someone else's successes, someone else's popularity, someone else's hand that they've been dealt. And when you do that, the joy that you have in your own life is stolen. When you do that, the contentment that you have in God's plan for your life is stolen. And as it turns out, John would go on to be actually the only disciple not to be martyred. He died of old age. Right, so could you imagine if Jesus would have told Peter when he asked, like, oh yeah, John's not gonna be killed. You're gonna get crucified, but John's not. Right, what would have been Peter's response? Man, that's not fair. That's not right. That doesn't make any sense. Why him? Why me, right? And Jesus makes it clear, don't worry about what you see is fair. You follow me. You keep your eyes on me. I, uh, I watch a, a lot of, Sports Center on ESPN. Any Sports Center people out there? Okay. It is uh, it is not as good as it used to be. That's probably why nobody's like, nah, I don't watch that trash. Um, I used to, uh, I do watch a lot of Sports Center on ESPN, uh, and I have since I, I have watched it since I was a little kid. And every morning on Sports Center, at the end of the episode, they do the top ten plays of the week, right? Of the day, or top 10 plays of the day before. And uh, that's like the best part of the show, right? Everybody waits for the end of the show. It's the end of the hour. They put it there because that's, that's the best part of the show. And that's where you see all the cool stuff, right? You see the diving catches. You see the incredible goals. You see the, the dunks, right, et cetera. But then on every Friday, they, they change it up a little bit. And instead of doing the top 10 uh, plays, they do what's called the not top 10, where they show like the best, blunders and mistakes and falls and any other kind of funny thing that happened in sports that week. And back in the day, they would have something called the, the not top 10 worst of the worst, where that's what I would end up on, right? Where, where you could vote for like what was worse, the, the number one not top 10 from this week or the one from last week. And you would have like these reigning champions, like these people that would just do incredibly embarrassing things, right? Just they, something terrible happens to them and they're on the worst of the worst for however long till they get voted out. Well, there was one play that stayed on the show for nine months, okay? Every week for nine months. Does anybody know what it is by chance? Hit it. The Mark Sanchez butt fumble. Yes. Okay, Mark Sanchez, quarterback of the New York Jets, right? He takes a snap. He goes to hand it off to the running back. Running back has no clue what's going on. He's not even looking. He doesn't know what play they're running. He runs off somewhere. Mark Sanchez is looking around trying to figure out what to do. He tries to run with the ball, runs it to his own player, falls down, fumbles. The Patriots pick it up, run it back for a touchdown. You should totally YouTube that later, okay? It is amazing. 
stayed on there for nine months. And I actually found out, I didn't know this, but they actually had to retire that play. Like it didn't lose. It didn't get voted out. They just had to just move on after nine months. Like that is crazy, okay? Could you imagine? I saw, I saw Mark Sanchez on TV the other day and I was like, what? Like, he's like an analyst now. Like he's not known for anything other than the butt fumble. So, um, when it comes to comparison, when it comes to comparison, whether in real life or especially on social media, what we tend to do is to compare someone else's top 10 plays with our not top 10, right? We see their highlights, we see their best moments, their successes, and then we focus on our mistakes and our faults and our failures. We see the reality about our own life and then look to others and we say like Peter did, what about them? And Jesus makes it clear like he, like he did to Peter. He says, what, what is it to you that they make better grades than you? What is it to you that they make more money than you? What is it to you that their life has been easier All I want you to do is follow me. We need to stop comparing our struggles to someone else's highlight reel because it's stealing our joy. It's stealing our confidence and it's stealing our progress in becoming who God created us to be. It's like how in school when the the teacher would say, keep your eyes on your own paper, right? Anybody ever been there? (laughs) I've been there a few times. Desperate, desperation, you know, I'm just kidding. Um, Sometimes you'd have those like those teachers or professors who, you know, they give everybody a slightly different test. Or like even if you wanted to cheat, you couldn't, right? Because all the, the questions are, they're not the same. They're all different. And you'd be copying answers that weren't right for the test that you had. That's how comparison is, right? You're trying to figure out what this person or that person is doing. And then you look at your own life and it doesn't look the same. That's because we've all been given different tests. We've been given different roles in the kingdom. We've been dealt different hands. We've been put into a a unique family, a unique workplace, a unique campus for a God-given reason. And if we spend all of our time constantly looking over at our neighbor's paper, we're gonna miss the assignment that was put right in front of us. You know, it, it was Peter's job to feed the sheep, be a martyr. And as a church, as we know it today, was built on the back of the Holy Spirit's work through Peter. And if he would've got caught, so caught up in what God had called John to do, he would have missed what God called him to do. And so as Christians living in this unprecedented time where comparison runs rampant, it is dire that we stay in our own lane, that we keep our eyes on our own paper and follow after Jesus where he has us. What Jesus said to Peter is what he wants to say to you. What does it matter to you what they are doing? You follow me. Because ultimately the only person worth, only person worth comparing ourselves to is Jesus. Because the more, the more we compare ourselves with him, the more it illuminates our need for him. And so one of the, the, the beauties of the gospel is that it is the great equalizer, right? The only comparison that can truly happen in the kingdom of God is a vertical one. The, 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 when it comes to the gospel, there is no horizontal comparison. Why? Because we're all in the same boat. We're all dead in our sin. We're all in need of the same savior, right? The most powerful person in the world and the lowest of society, right? The people you want to be like and the people that you don't want to be like, the most righteous, the most rebellious, the oldest Christian, the newest Christian. We're all dead in our sin and we're all in need of the same savior. There is no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. There is no ladder of success to climb. There is no popularity contest to win. There is no first place prize. 
It's instead a place where your success is not measured on what you do, but what has been done for you. It's a place where your success is not measured by money or status, but by faithfulness to God. And so let me take a moment and see if I can kind of take the, take the pressure off you guys tonight. This was a thought that, that came to me a while back, and I was like, man, if I would have known this earlier, I wouldn't have been trying so hard. You know, nobody's gonna be in heaven one day bragging about the life they had on earth. Like nobody's gonna be surrounded by the presence of God in, in, in the, the, the fullness of joy, singing around the throne of God, and then whispering to the, next, to the person next to them saying like, hey, you should have seen me on earth. I was the man. No, nobody's gonna be doing that. So we need to stop comparing ourselves to others and start comparing ourselves to Jesus. Let him be our motivation. Let him be our standard. And we can leave the rest up to him. Does this make any sense? All right, go and stand with me. Tonight, I would encourage you to withstand the temptation to compare yourself horizontally and start doing so vertically. Like I said, the only person worth comparing yourself to is Jesus, and that's so we can see our need for him. And so I would encourage you, make a decision tonight to, to keep your eyes on your own paper, stay in your lane, live the life that God has called you to live individually, pursue after Jesus, and not compare yourself with the person next to you. But together tonight, we get to gather together and worship as a group of people who share the same need for the same Savior. And so tonight, let's worship Jesus. Let's worship him for what he's done, what he's going to do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for, I thank you for this story of Peter and John, the one that we can find ourselves in so easily. God, looking at the people next to us and saying, what about them? Why do they have this situation? Why do they have what I want? Why are they in this situation that I wish I was in? God, I pray tonight that we would take our eyes off the people next to us and instead place them on you. God, to keep our eyes on our own paper, to stay in our own lane. And God, I thank you for the cross. God, at the foot of the cross, God, we're all equal. God, there's no horizontal comparison in the kingdom of God. There's only vertical comparison. So God, I pray right now that we would set our eyes on you, illuminate the need for you. God, that we would lean into you, this, uh, lean into you tonight and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.